shows up, turn with me into uh, Revelation chapter 3. We're going to be looking at verses 14 through 22 this morning. And uh, so take a moment to turn there. You can follow along on the screen. Uh, But before we get into the word, let's pray just briefly one more time. Father God, I thank you so much for this morning. I thank you for my brothers and for my sisters here, Lord God. I thank you for your word and for a place to uh, worship you and to gather in your name. And Father, I pray this morning that you'd fill this place, you'd fill our hearts, Lord, that you'd grant us wisdom and understanding according to your word. And whatever you want to speak, that you would speak it. And so, Father, I pray that you just move us out of the way and let us be filled with Jesus. So thank you for this opportunity. In Jesus' mighty name, amen. Okay. So this morning, we're going to be looking at Jesus' letter to the church of Laodicea. Now, this is the final church that Jesus writes to. Um, Out of seven churches, there's seven letters. And this is most famously known as the lukewarm church, right? Being neither hot nor cold. And so we're going to take a look at Jesus' letter to this church and see what he has for us this morning. So begin with me in verse 14. It says, and to the angel of the church of the Laodiceans write, these things says the amen, the faithful and true witness, the beginning of the creation of God. I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then because you are lukewarm lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth because you say, I am rich. I've become wealthy and have need of nothing and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in the fire that you may be rich and white garments that you may be clothed that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed and anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. Therefore, be zealous and repent. Behold, I stand at the door and knock. And if anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come into him and dine with him and he with me. To him that overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Amen. Okay. So, what is the problem um, with the church of Laodicea? You know, so we've been going through these seven churches, and we've, what we've touched on is that in each church, except for two, so five of the churches, Jesus comes with a rebuke. He says, I see your work, I see things lacking. And there was only two churches that he actually just encouraged. And so today we're going to be looking at what does it mean for this church to be lukewarm? What does that actually mean? How is Jesus's um, image and appearance actually an offense against that? And how is he calling us to live? So I want you to take note of how Jesus appears to this church. In fact, the beginning of his statements and the end of his statements um, uh, in this passage come to make the same point. It says in verse 14, as Jesus is speaking, thus says the amen. Thus says the amen. 
Does anybody here know what, know what amen means? So be it, right? Like, let it be done, okay? Um, and sometimes I even say that just in the prayer. I just say, so be it, <laughs> you know? Um, and so here, that word amen is actually a Greek transliteration from Hebrew from the word truth. Truth. So he's saying, I am the amen. I am the it will be done. I am the truth of God. And he says, and I am the faithful and true witness. Now that word witness is also very important because what do you think of when you hear the word witness? Testimony, okay, right? Truth teller, teller, someone on a stand, they're under an oath, they have to speak the truth. Absolutely, right? Um, They're giving a a, a statement, a declaration of something to be true. And so there's there's also another meaning to this word witness, though. And a lot of y'all may know this already, but the, the word for witness there is where we get the word martyr. When someone dies for their faith and they're a martyr, that's the word witness, because they're witnessing that they're holding to this truth so firmly that they're willing to even give their life for it. And so in, in, um, in that realm, Jesus really is the ultimate fulfillment of both of those words. You know, the Old Testament prophets, in some sense, were a witness of God, right? They declared his word. They told people, hey, you're in line, you're out of line, you need to get back in line, whatever, you know? And how did, the, how did the Israelites, God's own people, how did they treat the prophets, God's prophets? Pretty poorly, right? And so uh, they were also martyred, murdered for their witness of God's word. And Jesus, he came in the same way, being the truth, being the wisdom of God, being the word of God incarnate, he witnessed God's glory and character to the world. And Jesus could honestly, firmly say, anyone who has seen me has seen the Father, for I and the Father are one. Those were Jesus' own words. Have I not been with you so long, Philip, and still you do not know me? I and the Father are one. And so he is the faithful and the true witness and the beginning of the creation of God. Now that... That little sentence there sometimes can be problematic. So um, there's actually a belief somewhat, somewhat prevalent here in Revelation and in Hebrews and different places where they, people would take that to mean that Jesus was God's first creation, as if somehow Jesus was separate from the fullness of God. Now, it's very important to touch on this real quick before we go any further and to just cut through any idea um, or or any misinterpretation of what it's saying there, okay? Because we know in John chapter one, it says very clearly, in the beginning was the word, the word was with God and the word was God. And I believe it's verse 14, he became flesh and we beheld his glory, the glory of the only begotten son of God right? It says that all things were made through him and that nothing that was made was made, was not made outside of him, basically, in Colossians, that in all, in, in all, or in him, all things consist. So actually, a better translation of that would be that he is the one who begins or who began the works of God. He is actually the initiator of all creation. And so if we, if we jump down to verse 21, 
I want you to notice that as he's coming to this church, he's telling him, to him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. And so to really understand what Jesus is, is trying to get at with this church and calling them lukewarm and saying, you're not hot, you're not cold. To really understand what he's trying to say, we have to first understand the image that he's portraying. He's saying, hey, I am truth. My example is the faithful witness. I was the beginning of all things. And, and just as I overcame and will sit on my, uh, and I sit on my throne, the only way for us to experience that same glory the only way for us to step into God's kingdom and to join him in that is to follow his example. And so he's coming and he's offering himself as a, um, um, as a stark contrast to the reality of this church. So let's look at this. In verse 15, Jesus says, I know your works, that you are neither cold nor hot. I could wish you were cold or hot. So then, because you are lukewarm and neither cold nor hot, I will vomit you out of my mouth. It's kind of, almost kind of a scary passage, right? So what does that really mean? So basically what Jesus is saying is that this church, which by the way, we're going to get into this in just a second, the, the Laodiceans were very wealthy successful people. And so the people in this church were very wealthy, successful people. I want you to notice something that Jesus, unlike the other churches, if you've been here on Sundays or if you go back and read Revelation 2 and 3, unlike the other churches, he never mentions anything about them dealing with persecution, never tells them to, hey, just endure your trials. Hey, I see that you've done this. Hey, you know, you've got a faithful martyr in your He never mentions any of those things. And what we're going to see in the next couple of verses is because this was a, a church that was so well off physically in our normal life that it was actually hurting their witness of Christ because, well, they just didn't have one, right? And like I said, we're going to get into that in just a second. But the thing that Jesus is getting at here is that this church was unprofitable to him. It's unprofitable. I say it all the time. You know, God has one uh, main interest from beginning of history to end of history and from cover to cover, and it's his own glory, right? Being shown, being experienced, being magnified. And he's speaking to this church and says, man, I've called you, I've set you apart, and yet where is your witness? Where is the truth? Where are, you, where are you taking a stand for my name and basically, and like I said, I'm going to justify this. Basically what he's getting at is, man, I, there, there isn't anywhere. You know, if you were hot, well, great. Anybody like hot coffee? Anybody like hot tea? Everybody like, you know, one of those little hot things to go when you're saying, there's, there's benefit to, to hot water, right? There's benefit. There's, there's a refreshing that can come with cool water. But he says, man, if you're just going to be lukewarm, if you have no benefit, if you have no purpose, I'm going to vomit you out of my mouth. I'm going to spew you out of my mouth. And Jesus has already told, them, uh, told us this. He's already shown us his desire in the gospels. 
Jesus says, hey, you're supposed to be, no, 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 you are the light of the world. You're the light of the world. You have the witness and the testimonies of God is what he was saying. You're supposed to be standard bearers of truth in a land full of darkness, which means deception. He says, nobody takes a lamp and puts it under a basket. How much brighter does the room get if the lamp's under the basket? Still dark, right? Saying that's foolish. Nobody does that. That would that'd be unprofitable. That'd be foolish. He says, instead, it sets it on a stand so it can give light to everyone in the house. Why? That they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. Therefore, be perfect as your heavenly Father is perfect, right? And so, that was the purpose of the light, is that God would get glory. He also says, hey, you're the salt of the earth. Well, that sounds good. Some of y'all like being salty. It's all right. That's a joke for the younger guys. They know what I'm talking about. Um, he says, you're the salt of the earth, right? But if the salt loses its saltiness, what good is it? If you started dumping a bunch of salt in your eggs and there was no flavor, you would throw it out. It's useless. Right? And he says, therefore, it's good for nothing except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot by men. If there's, no, if there's no flavor, there's no purpose. Right? Finally, Jesus gives a parable and he talks about uh, these servants. And when he comes back, he had given an investment. He had put something into the hands of these servants. And he came back to collect. And there were some servants who, hey, they were given five and they, they had five more. And he says, great. Now I'm going to make you ruler over 10 cities. And you're like, what? There's like this, this magnificent, really over-the-top, completely in, in, in the world today, we would say uh, inappropriate blessing, right? If I gave you 10 bucks and you came back with 20 and said, here's your investment, and I made you the rule, ruler over New York, LA, and Chicago, that would be kind of a weird thing, right? I would have a lot of business people questioning my judgment. But that's the reality of God's blessing and reward to us, is that he takes the little, the little effort on our part, the little faithfulness, and he rewards it in such a mighty, unbelievable way. But when he comes back to the servant who had been given one talent and who had done nothing with it, oh, I buried it and hid it and here it is. Do you know what he says to do to that servant? I believe in that, there's a couple parables. In that one he says, you lazy, wicked, unprofitable servant, cut him in two and throw him out. Right? And so he's coming to this church and he's saying, man, what are you doing? You're called by my name. You've been paid for by my own blood. But where's the witness? Where's the testimony? Where's the glory that I am due in your life? You're not hot. You're not cold. You're just lukewarm. You're just going through the motions. And he says in verse 17, now he gives us the explanation of what's going on here. Because you say that I am rich, I've become wealthy and have need of nothing, and do not know that you are wretched, miserable, poor, blind, naked. Now, is there anything wrong with, with being rich? Is there anything wrong 
with, with having wealth? No, there's not, right? We know that there is a false gospel called the prosperity gospel. There's also a false gospel called the uh, poverty gospel, that somehow making yourself poor in, for the name of Jesus is like makes you a glorious saint. No, it doesn't, okay? It doesn't. But what was the problem? The problem was is that they were so comfortable in their wealth and in, and in their life that their life was not about the Lord. They had everything they needed in of themselves. And it's very easy when life gets easy to forget about the one who called us. To forget not just that he called us, but that he's given us a calling. He's given us a purpose to be his servants, right? To make disciples, to baptize, to teach, to love, to serve. Everybody who's been born again by the spirit of Christ has been a, become a slave to righteousness and a friend of God. Praise the Lord to that. But we've been given gifts and talents and he's called us to serve one another. He's called us to bring glory to his name. He's called us to proclaim just the simple good news of Jesus Christ. But when you've got a full stomach, you've got nice clothes, you've got a good house, you've got a good job, you've got a 401k, I mean, what do you need God for? And it's very easy to get distracted. But what does Jesus say in Matthew chapter 5, verse 3? Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. And it's those people who each day are reminded about the fact that apart from the Lord, they have nothing. Now, this is a very difficult thing um, <clears throat> for a lot of people to understand, and it was very difficult for the Jews as well. You know, when, when Jesus was uh, preaching in his ministry, there was a young man who came to him and was very, very wealthy. And he says, you know, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? He says, well, what does the law say? He recites the law, and the young man says, well, I've done all these things. And Jesus is like, oh, you know, you're right, okay. You know, here's one thing you're missing. Just, just one thing. Just go sell everything you have and give it to the poor. And come, follow me. And it says that that young man went away sad because he had great wealth. He was unwilling to sacrifice the comfort of this world to obtain Jesus. And is Jesus always asking every single person to let go of everything? that? No, 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 no. But if he did, would you? That's the question. That's the question. And Jesus turns to his disciples and says, Assuredly, I say to you, it is easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle, which is like a small hole in a gate, where they had to take off, they had to unload all of their merchandise and kind of shuffle, just barely make it through. It's easier for a camel to pass through the eye of a needle than it is for a rich man to get into heaven. And the disciples, their minds were like blown. They were like, oh my gosh, Lord, like, that's impossible. Like, there's no hope for us. How can we do that? And why was the reaction like that? Because they believed that, that people who were blessed physically, the Pharisees and the wealthy men that had all this blessing from the Lord poured out upon them, I mean, look at them. They must be going to heaven because God's pleased with them. And that was their mindset. And Jesus came and flipped that on his head. 
and said, no, 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 no. It's easier for a camel to get through because the camel don't care about unloading his stuff. It's just a burden to him. But to the rich, they want to hang on to everything. And it becomes a snare and a stumbling block. Likewise, in the parable of the sower in Matthew 13, the third soil, Jesus says there are people, some of us, our hearts are like soil with a bunch of weeds in it. And we hear the word. We receive the word. Something even, we even see a little bit of change, a little bit of motion. And it says, but then these weeds choke it out. And it never bears any fruit. And when Jesus explains that parable, he says it's, it's the uh, cares of the world and the deceitfulness, uh, deceitfulness of riches choke out God's word and it becomes unfruitful. That means that we don't allow ourselves to submit and to adhere to where God is leading us because of things that we can see, because of opportunities that have, because of things that we, we want to hold on to so badly. And one of my favorite quotes, Pastor Mark uses it all the time, it's from a, from a missionary. Um, and he says, I've learned to, to hold the things of this world loosely because it, got, it hurts when God has to pry open my fingers. Did I quote that just about right? And man, that's so true. And so these people, the Laodiceans, they thought they were rich, they were wealthy, they were right in the sight of God because look at everything he's given me. But Jesus says, man, like, yeah, you have all those things, good for you. But you don't understand that when I look at you spiritually, the Lord sees your heart, the Lord sees your mind, he understands where you are in your spirit. He says, when I see, see you, I realize you don't understand that you're wretched. You're miserable. You have all this wealth, but you're poor right? You're blind and naked. I counsel you to buy from me gold refined in fire that you may be rich in white garments that you may be clothed, that the shame of your nakedness may not be revealed. <clears throat> Let's think about that. I want you to just imagine whatever it looks like in your mind to stand before the throne of God. I want you just to put yourself in that position for a second. And I want you to imagine appearing before the throne of God, and here's all these saints of the ages, shining, bright, clothed in white garments, with gold crowns and carts uh, behind them of, of, of the things that they've done in the name of the Lord for his glory. And then you being there in the presence of the fullness of God, naked and poor, and not having the ability to say that there is anything done for his name. What a terrible, frightening thing, right? And so he's saying, I'm counseling you to buy from me gold ref refined by the fire, to, to, to store up treasures in heaven. Jesus says, where moth does not destroy and thieves cannot steal. Jesus says, if you even so much as, as give a glass of water to a little child in my name, you're not going to lose your reward if it's in his name and not our own. And to just lay our lives down, to be willing to serve Jesus, and there's treasure being built up. And he says, and buy from me white garments. And what we know from Scripture, what you'll see later on in Revelation it says that the white garments are the righteous deeds of the saints. 
They've been clothed in this purity, in this honor for serving the Lord. But these guys, they don't have gold, spiritual gold refined in the fire. They're not clothed in white garments because there's no, what righteous deeds? Where is the service? Where is the love? Where is the sacrifice? Jesus, who was the true witness, who says, if you overcome the same way I overcome, who did serve, who did love, who did sacrifice. And he says, where is my testimony in your life? Receive that and be clothed in those things. And anoint your eyes with eye salve that you may see. As many as I love, I rebuke and chasten. And so that's the purpose of these commands. That's the purpose of these letters. Some of them can see, seem heavy, uh, uh, depressing. They can be convicting, right? Um, but the Lord is saying, hey, if I love you, I'm going to correct you. I'm, I'm coming to tell you so you have the opportunity for your heart to be changed and to walk in my way so that you can be exalted in my kingdom. You can overcome. He says, therefore, be zealous and repent. Be zealous and repent. Everybody say zealous. Two words I really love in the scripture are fervent and zealous. Okay? And they both kind of have this implication of, of being eager and ready and passionate. And there are some times, and maybe you're in that place today, where if you look at your life and you look at, if you just isolated the area in your life that is for Christ, that's concerned for Christ, that's focused on Christ, that's serving Christ, maybe it's, it's very small. Or maybe it's kind of there, but you would not describe it as eager and ready and passionate. And so when Jesus comes to this church and he's telling them, hey, I don't, I'm not receiving glory from you. Where is the testimony? Where is the works? Where is, where is the, um, the reality of Jesus being portrayed to the world in you? And he says, repent. And he says, be zealous. That there's an answer there. The Lord says uh, in, a, in another place in 1 Corinthians that when we give, we shouldn't give out of obligation, like, oh, I got to tithe the Lord today. No, but he says he loves a cheerful giver. And that's the same thing. He's not, okay, well, guys, we got to do a bunch of good works, you know, because we're just really slacking here. Um, our stats, they're declining. No, there's not supposed to be some sort of burden. There's supposed to be a joy that when we seek the Lord, anybody ever here just had the opportunity to, um, to go with a church or with a couple of Christian brothers and just serve somebody? just get nothing out of it, to just feed some people who are hungry. Anybody ever been on a mission trip somewhere? You know what I mean? And you leave those experiences and maybe you had to like kick yourself out of bed to even go there. And then once you just lay yourself down, you, you come back with a great joy, right? And a great appreciation of who Jesus is and the love that he's given us. And what Jesus wants more than anything is that heart. That heart that is joyful at his name, that's joyful for his service, that's zealous to declare the glory of God. And he's saying, hey, stir that up that I might have some testimony in you. 
Behold, I stand at the door and knock. If anyone hears my voice and opens the door, I will come in with him and dine with him and he with me. To him who overcomes, I will grant to sit with me on my throne as I also overcame and sat down with my father on his throne. He who has an ear, let him hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So Jesus leaves us with this invitation. Jesus says, I see your works. I understand your life. I understand your motives. And I'm knocking and I'm knocking. And I'm, what is that? He's saying, I'm, I'm asking for you. I'm calling you to put aside what you're doing, to lay aside the distractions and to come and let me back into your life. To let me have communion with you, to, to, help, to let me have this relationship with you. And I will come in. And so today, that invitation is present. Rather, it's for the first, whether it's for the first time to entrust ourselves to Jesus who died for our sins, who says all who believe in him will never perish but have everlasting life, or for, for those of us who have just been like the Laodiceans. We've been living our life, experiencing the goodness. We live in America. You, ain't, you might have problems, but not like the rest of the people around the world, Okay experiencing the goodness of God. And Jesus is not the center of your life. He's an add-on. And he's saying, I'm not okay with that. Turn, change your mindset, and be zealous for me. I'm knocking, and if anybody answers today, says, Lord, forgive me. Lord, cleanse my heart. Lord, show me what it's like to serve you. Show me what it's like to have a relationship with you. Lord, I'm willing to start seeking you more today. He says, I will come in and I will dine with you. So guys, let's just pray, and let's ask the Lord to just reveal those areas of our heart. Let's ask the Lord for a desire to serve him and to know him more. Father God, we thank you so much for this day, Lord. We thank you for this time. And Jesus, we pray that you would just lead us into righteousness, Father. I pray that you would show us what does it mean to exchange the things of the world for gold refined by fire? What does it mean to walk in such a way that we can be clothed in white garments before you, Lord? Jesus, teach us to, to love you and to be zealous, Father. Um, truly, we need your help, Father. It's not about works. It's about faith, love, and surrender. So help us, Lord. Stir those things up to us that we may offer you some testimony that we may also be a true witness as you were, Father. So we thank you, Lord, in Jesus' mighty name, amen.